welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeroo. Hey everyone, my guest this week is Andy McGill. He's a qualified physiotherapist, worked in the public and private sector in Scotland, Australia and New Zealand before leaving clinical practice to join Vitality, where he is currently the head Vitality coach. Now, Andy and his team are responsible for engaging in innovative ways with Vitality members to educate, equip and inspire them to make positive changes in their health behaviours. Vitality is actually a financial services company who offer health, life, investment and most recently car insurance products to its members and that's all underpinned by a world-leading healthy living program which aims to get members healthier and protect their lives. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, so this week I'm joined by Andy McGill. So Andy qualified as a physiotherapist working professionally in the public and private sector in Scotland, Australia and New Zealand before leaving clinical practice to join Vitality, where he is currently the head Vitality coach. Andy and his team are responsible for engaging in innovative ways with Vitality members to educate, equip and inspire them to make positive changes in their health behaviours. Ultimately, Vitality is a financial services company, but they offer health, life, investment and most recently car insurance to their members. And that's all underpinned by what they call world leading healthy living program, which aims to get members healthier and enhance and protect their lives. So, Andy... Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Very well, James. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Andy? Uh, uh, from beautiful southeast London. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah. Near my neck of the woods, that. Exactly. Um, perfect. So obviously, we've had a quick chat before, Andy, and we've got you know lots of similarities in our backgrounds and, and things we've done, diverged paths of late, but uh, it would be great for our listeners, mate, if you could tell us a bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely, James. Um, so yeah, this was as you said in the the uh, the intro there. My actually my undergrad degree, sort of my um, so it was core training is as a physiotherapist. So worked in physiotherapy for um, just around eight years, um, and kind of that was a fantastic career. Absolutely loved it. The key thing with physiotherapy is that it's a and it's sort of truly aligned with what I'm interested in, which is people and health. And I suppose the corresponding data and insights that come with that as well. So fantastic in terms of giving me opportunities to work in the National Health Service in Scotland, which, you know, as we chatted before, working in the NHS is fantastic in terms of the, the range of individuals that you work with. You work with very fit people to helping people that are extremely ill. Um, and physiotherapy was a great career in terms of actually just understanding the whole basis of health and how why people are unhealthy and why others seem to bounce back from illness and things like that so fantastic insights and then I kind of then went to the other end of the spectrum and worked um, it was always a goal to sort of work in private practice and have hopefully uh, do that and sort of get a bit of a suntan and get fitter with it as well so hence <laughs> moved to New Zealand and worked between New Zealand and Australia for about nice. five years which was, which was fantastic um, and that offered to be honest with you that offered a, a different experience for me in that um, it was working, you know, strictly private practice or private private healthcare, um, and in a different as well as that in a different country. So it offered me a total, like to be honest with you, the opposite end of the continuum in terms of the opportunity that there is for people, um, that exists for society as well in terms of yeah. if we proactively look after our health. So that was um that was an eye opener. That was really good. 
but then I suppose there was an itch and there was something there. And again, we've sort of, we've, we've shared, we definitely shared this as that a, a kind of ultimately if I was treated a, a patient with a knee injury, back injury, shoulder, whatever it was, the conversation always came back to the same fundamental things, which was, are you sleeping? Are you eating right? Are you exercising? How's your stress levels? So I kind of then that sparked a bit of a bit of an idea, which took a couple of years to sort of formulate as to how I could direct those those thoughts and feelings, but relocated back to London. And then yeah, sort of to be honest with you, consider myself very lucky to have found an opportunity to to join Vitality at that stage, where who were um just entering and just getting to grips with what this whole concept of workplace well-being is. So entered at the ground floor there and been lucky enough to to work with them for just over six years now and been building up um, sort of our workplace wellbeing offering, which fundamentally is trying to get people to do healthy things on a day-to-day basis, which will obviously positively impact their health in the long term. It's really cool. There's, there's loads of, there's loads of themes, I suppose, that, that this brings out that I'd like to talk about. The first one, something that you mentioned there. So learning this, the basics of health or the basis of health as a clinician, I think that's a really interesting concept now. I think as we get, as we go on in, in time and uh, clinicians are doing different things, perhaps even before they turn up to clinical practice, be that physiotherapy, be that nursing, be that occupation, that whatever it is, right? I think it's interesting to me that people are doing different careers beforehand and afterwards now. And it seems that that as a concept is quite interesting. It's sort of, you know, hotel owner that's worked in the kitchens type of analogy, you know, that it seems that you can learn the ground floor of healthcare, the, you know, where it, the, the coal face, if you will, of healthcare, you can learn that as a clinician with a view to doing something different and that is okay. I think that as a as a as a path to a different career within healthcare is absolutely ideal and I didn't know that was a thing when I did it I didn't know that that would be you were I you and I both right we've mentioned this before to each other you know I I didn't know that that would have even been an option you know when I was applying to medical school and I was thinking the the vision of myself that I had was something totally different but it seems that that you've also taken advantage of that in the, in, in the modern world, I suppose, um, in, in the sense that you've been able to go and have a career afterwards. And it's just a point that I'd like to pull out really for, for those listening, that it's okay to not love it. It's okay to still do that learning. It's okay to even go into it knowing I might not be doing this for the rest of my life, but it's going to give me options. And that brings me on to the, to the next bit in your story which is you've done the public sector you've done the private sector now in vitality and looking at insurance it's different models of the way healthcare can be delivered you've had this really interesting breadth and look across all those different systems has that been really valuable to you and that's a really loaded question because it seems to me that you've had everything to then pick from and you've gone keeping healthy people well with behavioral insights is what I want to lean into. So I'm going to go to vitality. You couldn't have known that if you'd just done physiotherapy, right? So tell me about that breadth, that, that breadth of experience. And I suppose that journey. Yeah. To be honest with you, James, the way you sort of articulated there, it sounds as if it was like expertly planned, the master <laughs> plan, you know? Oh, it but, was uh, though, wasn't it, Andy? Surely. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, but to be honest with you, James, yeah. Like, again, I, I absolutely feel really really passionate about the fact that to your first point around um 
to be honest with you, I think healthcare is such a unique, or people working with people that are in a state of ill health or yeah. be that in a caring responsibility, I think there's a whole breadth. Ultimately, it's it's looking after people. And I think that those are fundamental skills which will stick with you for life. Be you if you stay in the profession or move on. And I think that's a key thing because it gives you empathy and it gives you an understanding and it helps 100%. you sort of scratch under the surface. So so I think, yeah, those are those are skills for life. And yeah, um, to be honest with you, the reason why I went into physiotherapy, probably why you went into medicine is, you know, you're okay at school, you can sort of get the right grades, you're, you know, you can do this, this is the options. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of in ways, I'm really thankful that I kind of went that route, because it could have been could have been something else. So, um, yeah. but yeah, fun. And again, I would certainly reiterate that message to anyone who's considering going into medicine or allied health, you know, it's a really good option, because it's and it doesn't have to be that forever. It does give you lots of sort of soft skills, transferable skills, which are invaluable. Uh, to your second point, how did I get to where I am? To be honest with you, James, it's just a bit of uh, being curious. Um, whenever I was in the National Health Service, the key thing and the key the key opportunities there was, you know, gaining in seniority. That gave me sort of management experience. That gave me insight in terms of actually how do I motivate and help others to then help our help our patients in front of us. And it was just a natural sort of progression. To be honest with you, there was no fixed master plan, but um, I knew kind of the the types of things that I wanted to be doing, if that makes sense, in terms of in a role, in a role, what are the types of things that I'm in, I'm motivated or interested in, um, and to be honest with you, the reason for um, what was good is that whenever I was like, so maybe second or third year in university, I set a goal. I was like, right, with this career, I can definitely travel. So let's go to where I believe to be the pinnacle of this career. To be honest with you, in physiotherapy, if you look at the amount of research, evidence, and the amount of top physiotherapists that are coming out, Australia is and New Zealand is definitely the key place to be. So, What do they do differently there in physiotherapy then? Um, it's because of the model in itself, to be honest with you, James. And right. I suppose because there's the private, it's an interesting one. There's the private healthcare sort of model, which is very um, entrenched and is very forefront. So I always, it all, I always relate it back to the types of clients that you'd be getting through. So, for example, I remember it still sticks in with, with me is that clients would come to me in Australia and say, right, my health insurance provider provides me with six sessions per year. Um, let's plan those out. Let's get them booked in because I want to come to you proactively with any aches and niggles to then stop you actually um you know um to stop me having to come to feed for, for treatment that's very very different and the skills and the manual skills are totally different you're working with like almost um you know sort of someone who's in a in a fit state as opposed to whenever in the public sector for example in in the nhs in scotland you're seeing someone with maybe exactly the same niggle in their back but they're 16 weeks post-injury so they're ah, in a totally different state so it was more actually around the types of individuals that you're working with on a day-to-day basis and then in addition to that the volume with which you're doing it as well so that's why you get a lot of really really um at that time there's just lots of research coming out there's lots of really really talented physiotherapists but i think it's not that it was better it was just it was a totally different skill it was a totally different sample set it was a totally different sort of um, range of patients then in addition to that the sort of the closeness with professional sport and the amount of professional sport as well and um, mm. was is second to none out there so but I set that as a goal and sort of got there but at the same time James whenever I got there I I could see the advantages but also I could see the downsides of it too so it kind of just gave me a different perspective in terms of coming from the from a, the public sector into the private sector and um, it has its definitely has its advantages, 
but there are also downsides to be aware of and to manage around too. So then that kind of, as I said, having sampled both sides, then I thought, right, the, I kind of fundamentally came down to getting that message out and getting that conversation out around actually getting back to basics with what it is that everyone needs to be doing to improve their health. So I suppose what I was thinking was I wrote a list of things that I wanted to do. And to be honest with you, it was kind of like get out of the clinical environment because I was a bit interested in what's the city life like or what's it like working in an office? Um, what's it like having to do presentations? What's it like working? I didn't even know what marketing was. I didn't know like how a sales team work, all of those different things, you know. And so I, I can remember, right, my friends, you know, when I was 24, 25 26 like i i i would be in conversations about you know in inverted commas normal jobs basically anything that wasn't a, a clinician at the time i didn't i i had no idea what what job titles meant i had no yeah. i i didn't you're right i had no idea what sales marketing operations i i just didn't know and i and i i, I felt i felt that as like a real kind of discomfort that I didn't know those things. And I think other people that loved clinical medicine and really enjoyed that side of things didn't have that discomfort. And you know, it was just another thing that pointed me towards, I like the term curiosity that, that you've, that you've said there. I mean, that, that def, that definitely resonates with me. Mm. Curiosity or nosiness, I'm not too sure, <laughs> but, but, it, but yeah. either way, it, 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 it got us to where we are in terms of, I think, if there's an itch or if there's something that, again, as I said, there's no master plan. And I would almost, um, uh, you know, the way sort of your negative self-talk, I would almost think I need to have more of a master plan here. I need to be doing more studying. I need to be doing more in this and that. But ultimately, I've kind of like tried to follow the path that seems to be the, the next logical step. Yeah. And But always, to be honest with you, always with the knowledge, not that we've ever had to use it, similar to yourself, there's always a backup in terms of your underlying career. But I mean, like I'm six, it's six years now since I've actually worked in clinical practice yeah. in that way. So I think that's the other thing as well about changing careers and you know, eventually ending up in entrepreneurship is one thing. But I think if you look at it, most, most things I've tried haven't worked. <laughs> most, <laughs> most jobs I've tried to do, I've not actually liked <laughs> yeah. when it comes to it. But the point is, is that I, I didn't, I, I allowed myself, unfortunately, I suppose at the time, one of the things that kept me in medicine was identity. And I, I really was wed to that. And mm. that was a mistake I didn't ever make again. I've never really been wed to any particular identity. I joke now that I'm the health tech guy or the podcast yeah. guy, I, you know, I tongue in cheek post on LinkedIn the other day about that. But like, ultimately I, th I think I'm, I'm, I'm just not that externally focused about what I seem like or what I want to be perceived as anymore. Like I don't mind just chopping and changing. And I think that's allowed me the flexibility to like you've done jump between things and to and from things. And I think that does give you a bit of freedom to end mm. up with, end up with, with what you actually feel is best for you. And rather than keeping up with the Joneses, I suppose, and taking the management consultancy you know root and if that if that isn't for you but it looks nice and feel you know it, it, it's interesting it is interesting i think there's definitely there's a lot of what, what's fantastic and what i'm eternally grateful for is um and then this is kind of a, a key thing and that's what even has led us to have this conversation today is people sharing of time so again whenever i was mm -hmm. going through it at the the transition from clinical practice into whatever it was that i was going to do um again people's openness to share time, to have a coffee, have a beer, meet for a bit of time, have a conversation. Um, 
I'll eternally be grateful for that and kind of always try and if anyone comes to me with those types of requests, I'm always sure to signpost them on because it's those little things. I actually thought I would, would like to get into something around project management and something around sort of sporting events and things and mass participation. But whenever I actually chat to those people, I actually find out that whilst the job titles look cool, fundamentally what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is very different and was not my skill set. But the more awesome. that you, the more you chat to people, again, the more mistakes, the more silly questions you ask. Um, yes, it might cost you sort of a fortune in buying other people coffee, but it's time well spent. You know, hundred percent. I I love that. You know, immerse yourself in the. It's like it's like solving a problem in entrepreneurship. Mm. Immerse yourself in the world. Figure out everything that that you know in in entrepreneurship. It's the problem, but figure out everything that problems. But in here, it's like every person that 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 person relates to in their job everything that they do every little thing about it what are the consequences of this it yeah and that's i suppose how you drill down to it and and on your point about sort of paying it back as well i actually reserve now i've actually mandated it as of last week i actually reserve friday mornings for what i'm now calling community calls so there's a there's a calendly link flying around somewhere um i'm trying to keep that (laughs) not not literally everywhere i'm not gonna stick it in the description episode but um for people that do want that and you know advice mentorship guidance i actually reserve friday mornings for that now um Brilliant. a couple of hours because there's enough of those requests that come in and mm. i think it, it's it's funny you know it ends up paying back i can tell you for people that think they haven't got time for that kind of thing um talent pipeline for some x is one thing mm. um friends is another thing that i've gained from that like there's there's lots that i've gained from just giving that time back and it yes. doesn't actually feel like giving back anymore it just feels like part of what i should be doing because yeah. of everything that i do being an inconsistent player anyway but like yeah super super interesting man but let's talk about i suppose the the jump into vitality um how did that come about so um, again, as I said, I was busy stalking people on LinkedIn, <laughs> lo- lots of people for coffee in London. Um, and this, I suppose, again, I actually had a bit of help from a, like a career coach at that time, which, which again, was such a worthwhile investment. But it was just an independent party who didn't love you, who could say and challenge you on what you were saying and what you weren't saying. Family, friends are fantastic, but at the same time, they're motivations and intentions might be slightly different to actually what you need so did a little bit of work but again identified a couple of sort of keystones or a a couple of brands at that time that I thought yeah I could be aligned with and and potentially might be worth an opportunity and then it was just knocking on doors and a job description popped up on a website and again didn't really make much sense but there was a couple of words in there and a couple of themes that I thought yeah that sort of seems to be for me so again went through the application process and all credit to Vitality at that time, as I said, they were just sort of, they they had a, an outfit and they had sort of a, a servicing and had some um, capacity in terms of fulfilling corporate clients' needs from a workplace wellbeing perspective, but still very new and kind of wanted to bring it on to the next level. So took a bit of a gamble in terms of employing, I was a physiotherapist straight out of clinical practice, but there must have been something that they saw. Um, and, and thankfully, sort of that, that has paid off. And since then, we've been on a fantastic journey in terms of from servicing and helping a small um, number of our corporate, larger corporate clients, to now being able to service our corporate as well as our business healthcare, and within the past year, more recently, our member, our member cohort as well. And again, James, it's it's quite simple in terms of I, I think it is quite simple. Our, my team has one focus, which is to um, 
essentially embody our core purpose and to help our members get healthier and fitter. So be you a corporate member, be you a business healthcare member, an individual, we are mindful of the fact that they've all come to market in different ways and have different motivations. But at the end of the day, health and health behaviors is consistent across everybody. Now, maybe that's quite a simplistic view, but um, the fund that we all need to be doing the same fundamental things in terms of, as I said, sleeping, eating, managing stress and exercising. So um, that's what we're dedicated to doing and focused on doing on a day-to-day basis. Cool. And so, sorry, I was on mute there, talking to myself. Um, <laughs> that's normally me that goes on mute. <laughs> yeah, I've got a reputation Classic. for it. <laughs> God, I rarely do that. But anyway, um, so let's talk about the how then. So how do you go about doing that? Because I imagine there's uh, a, a lot of a lot of theory, a lot of how you convert that theory into practice, how that is, how there's a business model behind that, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah tell me about that. So... The, the basis, fundamentally, uh, Vitality is a, it's a financial services um, company and we provide health insurance, life insurance investments. And um, as you said, we've, we're just about to launch car insurance as well. So those are that's the core business. Um, that is the, the most important thing to us in terms of ensuring that there's world-leading products from that perspective. What I like about it and what, again, the reason why I'm still with the organization so many years later is I suppose it's all based around a shared value model. So ultimately, the key thing is if our members are healthy as an insurer, that's got that's got positives for us in terms of reduced claims. We can then realize um, savings and those savings then are, are reinvested back into products and things like that, which will then continue to help the members get healthier. But this has a positive impact also on society because if you've got a healthier society, it reduces the burden on the NHS. So again, it's a cyclical model in that regard, which is win-win in my regard. And the key thing, as I said, the driver underneath all of the products, be it health insurance, life insurance, investments, is the healthy living proposition. So we incentivize and reward our members to get healthier. So you, you know, there's a three-step process. You get it when, in terms of engagement, so understanding your health. So we'll actually, you know, you complete an online health review, um, have a health assessment, understand where your numbers are at. We then surface and show you the products and the tools and services that you could use to get healthier. And then there's, there's rewards off the back of that as well for taking those those, those positive steps as well. So uh, as I said, it kind of I, I still find it a bit strange to to be talking about this based upon where I've come from. But fundamentally for me, like I'm fully aligned with where we're going and what we do. And again, it's based in evidence, it's based in data, it's rigorous and it works. And that, that's the that's the key thing. Yeah. Really interesting for me. The I suppose the, the the notion of insurance in the UK is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we come from a very NHS, very clinical um, backgrounds where private sector insurance, it's very secondary to the NHS narrative, which is sort of the moral way that healthcare can be delivered. It's interesting to me how this plays with the shared value model that you talk about, which is that for those that can afford it, health insurance means that you are then incentivized by the things that you will talk, you know, you were talking about, you know, behavioral science, nudge theory, things like that, to then stay healthy, which is then going to keep those people away from the National Health Service, allowing that to pick up on those that do need it 
and I'm speaking very slowly and very deliberately because this is the sort of topic that I can get emailed about furiously at the end of it. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that there is clearly, and you described it as a shared value model. It's a model that only really works when everybody wins. But obviously it's tough to talk about because obviously there's, there's a gap between those that can afford it and those that can't. I imagine there's plenty that you guys are doing it to make it affordable, but there's always going to be that gap. I suppose the point that I'm trying to make is that no matter what, it is still providing value when you think about healthcare as an entire ecosystem. Mm. And it seems to me that that needs to be the conversation here, I suppose, because there's obviously a lot of people that will just say it shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to skip the queue, all these different things. It's just a, it's just a tough one, I suppose, without getting too political. Yeah, yeah, it it really is a tricky one, James. And as uh, I picked up on a point that you used in one of your your previous podcasts, and around sort of health, in particularly in the UK, being a five year cycle, and that yes. nobody is prepared to. And again, I can I can sense that this is a it's an ongoing an ongoing topic. I suppose maybe one of the things and the opportunities that that does exist, and as, as I said, the core area of our team's focus has been around employers, and that's. Uh, yeah, that, that's a huge, a huge chunk of of what we do fundamentally. In that, um, employers do have an increasing responsibility, um, be it externally or alternatively from themselves in terms of identifying themselves as an employer of choice, but also then appreciating that there are upsides for their productivity and retention um, of of their um, of their staff as well if they do. Do things to help their um, to the to help their employees be healthier, happier, fitter, whatever it might be. And it's a whole range of things. It's not just about building the gym and then opening the doors and everyone going for it. It's everything from providing access to, um, say, for example, discounts. So that's, for example, your younger members of staff that don't have access to you know or don't have lots of disposable income maybe they do need discounts to get the, the gear or get the tech that they need and then they're then they're away whereas for those older members or members at a different stage of life and um, say for example that they may be experiencing unique so for example menopause is a fantastic example it's about you know, providing the right support and providing the right types of um, information and access to information at, at that stage so i think there's an increasing and again as i said whenever we even started this journey six years ago with vitality. Workplace well-being was definitely um, a wishy-washy subject, a nice to have. We can see that there's an ever-increasing need for it as well, as well going forwards. Yeah, and clearly there's lots that you are doing, which is permeate, permeating somehow into my psyche. So your, <laughs> your, comms, your comms team's got a lot to answer for. Because when I think vitality, I think pink for whatever reason that must be that must be your color i i definitely think pink i definitely think young people and i kind I, I do think insurance but i kind of think technology as well and i think of all these different things that's kind of the image that vitality of, of conjured brand wise in my mind what what is your relationship as vitality and maybe your team that are tasked with keeping everybody healthy what is your relationship with technology Interesting. So yeah, we are known for Pink and for Stanley the Dashant, who you will you'll see running around football pitches <laughs> and rugby pitches and stuff. So so it's not uncommon. So I'll feed that back to the team. They're obviously doing well. Um so Definitely. yeah, they, they, they've they've got front of mind for you. 
we as a team then embody that and we're trying we are um responsible for for it i suppose to be honest with you james it's rather than speaking about the things that we will do whenever you are ill um which is i suppose a traditional approach vitality is trying to turn things on its head in that regard and chatting about all the things that you can do now to live have more life in your years and also to live longer as as well all with the knowledge that should you ever need us for those big things then that's sorted that that that, that will be looked after technology underpins all all of that and as I said, relating back to the Healthy Living Program, technology is one thing that allows us to actually incentivize and reward our members. So for example, we did a three-year study with Apple Apple, and with the and uses of the Apple Watch. Now, just at a very high level, our members pay a little discount or a little um, sort of upfront deposit for uh, an Apple Watch. And then the remaining balance is paid on a monthly basis. However, if you exercise and hit certain targets, then we will pay that remaining balance for you on a monthly basis. So an in integration of technology um, that, is, that works, but also that is desirable. And that is a tool that's actually, if you think about it from a health perspective, it's like smartwatches are really, really good tools and they're enablers to allow you to take independence, to take action for yourself. So through that study, for example, we um, found that our members that were using the Apple Watch benefit, engaging and using the technology, were active for five additional days per month than, than non-users, which is fantastic. And again, for us, it's very much about that accumulation of movement is key to health. It's not about the three gym sessions per week where you're in there for 45 minutes and then sit in on your backside for the rest of the week. It's around sort of your daily steps. It's, a, it's around sort of just being active. And I'm not going to ask you what your daily steps are now, James, because if they're anything like mine, they're dramatically reduced because we're confined. It's horrendous. We? Yeah, it's yeah. horrendous. I'm exactly as you just described, 45 minutes in the gym or in my garage, basically yeah. <laughs> lifting a few weights. I'll do that three times a week. Um, and then I'm in this seat that you see me now for literally the other have many hundred hours every week hundreds exactly. of hours every week. and particularly in the past year but that wouldn't have been the case a year ago because you would have been commuting Correct. you would have been traveling between meetings if you're in an office you would have someone tapping you on the shoulder saying do you want to go for a coffee or you'd have to at least walk between meeting rooms yeah so now more so than ever we need to be um and that's one of the things that we're doing in terms of running events and doing things getting in front of our members to actually incentivize and reward them to be healthy but whilst being at home so that's where sort of partner integrations with a lot of um for example peloton has been ground chain, groundbreaking for us oh, because again, that, that brings the gym into home and um, we've also got our sort of our our on-site gym offering such as virgin active they're now sort of able to offer an online offering too so the definition of workplace is changing and as a result technology is moving and the way that we deliver healthcare and health advice is, is also evolving with that as well. Yeah. So I suppose you're, you're, you're staying on top of technology as a means of figuring out how to use, you know, best in class to then incentivize people to stay healthy. So I suppose, do you, I mean, do you ever look at a kind of uh, like emerging startups and things like that in terms of potentially using that kind of stuff or are you more focused on the you know the big tech plays that you could potentially partner with as a to be honest with james and one thing i didn't clarify maybe at the top was um as a as an organization innovation and optimism is one of our core values so interesting yes, yes absolutely um we are very 
keen to ensure that we work with best in class to ensure that we get the best outcome for, for our members. There are lots of examples whereby, yes, we might work with big brands to do big things. Um, however, there are also lots of examples whereby we might use with work with sort of breakthrough brands and and not and, le and lesser knowns to be able to, um, as, as I said, achieve achieve outcomes for, for our members as well. Yeah, and this is where technology, I think, is going to play arguably, well, <laughs> probably, uh, the biggest or make the biggest impact, which is the prevention side of healthcare. It's keeping the healthy people healthy. And that bit, the amount of effort that takes compared to catching them at the brink and when things have really gone wrong and you're insulin resistant and, or, you know, getting you back from there to health is uh, requires a lot more resource of a healthcare system. It is not as efficient as it can be using, you know, behavioral insights and nudge theory to keep people healthy. And that's where I suppose the feedback loop is less dramatic. There's with my comms hat on, you know, it's, it, you can't make a headline about someone got nudged to stand up every day and now they don't have diabetes. Like it's like, you can't really, you can't really make those headlines about that sort of thing, but at scale, the amount, the sheer amount of impact that that is going to have must be extremely motivating. I mean, how, how do you guys track this stuff or like, do you track this stuff? Is it possible? I mean, it'd be so easy to motivate a team just being able to look at the actual value at scale, I imagine. I'm yeah. interested in how you guys view that or, or if you do it all. I don't know, maybe are you imagining like, us sitting and then having a huge dashboard exactly just like a full wall floor to seeing exactly like huge huge <laughs> monitors where it's just like these are all the people being saved <laughs> oh it's just like that every yeah. day, every day, every day. <laughs> that's exactly how i imagine vitality hq <laughs> yeah exactly um to be honest with you we are a company that's grounded in actuarial science and um, so i'm not going to lie that there are a lot of um there's a lot of people in the organization much much cleverer than me um, that are on a daily basis drawing out insights and it's those insights that do motivate us and it's those insights yeah. but most importantly give us the sort of allow us to tweak things to ensure that we're doing it right so I think your point around and I suppose this is locally within my own team we've we're the challenge that is in our plate which we're actually glad to be at this stage so in terms of what we've been doing to date certainly um we, we, we're an overnight success, but it has been years in the making. Um, I think we've done a fantastic job and we're doing a really, really good job of getting the message out there, engaging with those that are ready to engage with their health at that time, that are ready to listen to us, are ready to come on, on the journey with us. The big challenge for us, which should be ever present, is actually getting those people that are about to either fall into the high risk category or alternatively have fallen in but have had an event and it's trying to catch people now more at a moment in time that is important whereby their eyes are open and their heads not turned to the wall um, and making sure that they're then coming on the journey for us and I think that's to be honest with you that's not just in my team that's not, not just within Vitality that's nationwide yeah. is, and and maybe dare I say is what has happened over the past year an opportunity for us to turn the tide on that and actually for us all to focus a little bit more on the simple things that we can be doing and one thing that i'm really passionate about is actually helping people to understand what they can be doing as opposed to saying don't do this don't do this don't eat yes. that you know it's because 
what do you lead with? Do you lead with a carrot or do you lead with a stick? You know? Absolutely. A carrot for me any day of the week. <laughs> I I shouldn't say this being, you know, a host of a health tech podcast, but I I I cannot I, I personally cannot wear devices that tell me what to do Mm. like good luck anybody telling me what to do at the best of times like my poor family but um you know if it's a device i would it would it (laughs) i I dread to think what i would end up doing with this thing if it actually had a go at me about something but so so i'm just (laughs) so i'm just not i'm just not very good at having them so it's they're not for me so i i i need i need carrot rather rather than Mm. stick definitely um but yeah, it's it is it is an interest it is an interesting topic. I I'm curious though. So, do you do you use your clinical knowledge in your job now? Do you think? Yes, as I said, it's been six years, I suppose, since I've been you know I'd say in hand, inverted commas hands on. But I'm actually surprised day every day because yeah. it comes down to those. You you will have been in that scenario before. Um, probably not whenever you're in intensive care, but whenever you're maybe more sort of you're at that point and having those conversations with members of the public and you're asking the questions and you're trying to get to the point and the nub of the issue and you're trying to guide them towards that in terms of because to your point, nobody wants to be told this is why you're sick. You want to, as a clinician, you want to help and advise, but at the same time, if you can more, most importantly help that person understand then that's the most important thing. They can get the treatment, but then in addition to that, move on with the understanding of fundamentally what are the practical things that they need to be doing. And that's what we are doing on a day-to-day basis is we might come up with a, say for example, at the moment we're doing a lot of you know, um, open education sessions. So what we've been doing for the past year is we've seen an, seen an opportunity whereby the, we've got the expertise in-house, be it from a clinical perspective, um, be it from sort of an experience perspective and we're not getting that and sharing that with members and the public in general but fundamentally that content is put together and we create it in a way that it's again it's not bossing people around it's very much almost facilitatory and saying this is some information think about that and then it's kind of almost like a two-way conversation and how we deliver that as well we've had to be really really key about in terms of making sure that we're not as you said broadcasting messages about what you shouldn't be doing we're helping people to understand what the things that they can be doing and come up with their their own solutions because what works for you might work for me but it won't work for for the next person so it's just a pre- we, we all have got the i think we're quite passionate about the fact that you know we've all got it within us to figure it out but sometimes we're we're willing to put the effort in other times we're not and it's just about trying to capture the people at the right time whenever they we can help them to figure that out for themselves but yeah i'm actually pleasantly surprised actually the clinical practice stuff ultimately it's it's people and i can still remember the faces of those individuals say for example i'd be treating them for their knee injury mm-hmm. just get the knee better don't i don't want to talk about anything else mm-hmm. you'd see them in six months you could almost set your watch by them which i loved because i would say right i'll see you i'll probably see you within the year and they would be back again so but then yeah. again you need to do that to then sort of break the cycle and move on so yeah. you know a really interesting one is uh, how i use my clinical experience pretty much every day is building rapport very quickly to make people feel at ease on a podcast it is 
a skill that I think I really refined in anesthetics because you can make it an anesthetic go much easier for you as the anesthetist if someone isn't horrendously anxious. Absolutely. And so you learn things about informing them in a timely way what's going to happen and speaking in a way that isn't going to spook them and telling them, giving them no surprises and finding common ground very quickly so you can have a bit of a laugh about something. You know, all of these different things, which I don't consciously do, but I, I know that those skills got really, really honed as an anaesthetist, definitely, because it, it and, and, and picking up little subtle cues and stuff like that, which, which you'll, you'll do as a clinician as well. Like it, it's, it's, it's awesome. I just had one question about, about something previously because I, I forgot to ask this at the time. But practically speaking, when you talk about you know, using actuarial science and all these different things of vitality, how, how do you guys know that what you're doing is working? Do you have, how does that feedback loop work? So if you are nudging people, is it through the tech? Is it through those smartwatches? Are there other ways and means of doing it with technology? So how do you complete that feedback loop? Because I'm, and the reason I ask the question is because I think there are lots of there are lots of startups that will have digital therapeutics and various bits and bobs that will they will be wanting that feedback and they will be measuring certain things. I suppose it's just interesting to me and probably to them. What do you measure and how you, how do you get that feedback? Yeah, James, it's a good it's a good question, and I suppose that's something that I've got an appreciation of on a day to day basis, but it probably doesn't necessarily obviously make sense to the outward world. And this is one of the things that I'm comfortable and I'm you know, sort of confident in what we do because we do have that feedback loop. So yeah. for example, um, yes, we have a, I suppose a, a global device layer that everyone's devices tapped into. So you yeah. can link, you link your device through that. So for example, we can see that, um, yeah, James, you're, you're averaging 2000 steps a day, whatever it might be, but there are certain, if I use an example of our active rewards program, there are certain thresholds that we set. So 12 points a week is an active rewards um, threshold. So what that means is that if you reach 12 points, we will unlock uh, a reward for you, which is at the moment, it's a, um, it's a sort of a, a voucher to use it for, at home to, for, a, for a streaming service. And then in addition to that coffee at home as well. So we can see that our members are, we can see by their activity tracking points, if they're getting more active, and then we can also see if they're unlocking rewards. We can then also see over time, so that's unlike, on like, say for example, on a weekly basis, over time, every Vitality member has a status level as well. So you earn points on a daily basis or a weekly basis, that then all contributes to your status. So you start on bronze, go to silver, gold, and then, and then platinum. And then once you get to those different status levels, you unlock further rewards and different discounts and things like that as well. And then it also then impacts other things. So we're seeing that in terms of how members are earning rewards and unlocking partners too. And that's one of the key things is if we are introducing a new partner or alternatively, if the points are adjusted or we need to do something, then that's, we use the data sets. We look into that to see actually how are people behaving to then adjust accordingly. For example, we were able to recently see that there's a significant difference um, in people's steps in the first three months of this year versus the first three months of last year. And so we can see generally how people are moving. And as a result, then that informs product design, that informs, I suppose, the, the whole structure of the program as well. So under constant review and, and, and tweaking in regards to that. And I think, to be honest with you, reflecting on that active rewards was a massive game changer for us because we could see that members were 
earning rewards over time. But again, coming back to nudge theory, we all need that little, you know, sort of pat on the back to say, well done. So that's where introduction of the short-term active reward um, about four to five years ago, we saw average engagement just absolutely like shoot up overnight, which was um, game changing for us in terms of upping the level of engagement long-term for our members. And that that's what it's all about. It's not about the short-term gains and then hoping then it'll drop off. We're seeing sustainable engagement over time, which is the key thing. It's a really good point that for people listening that are building digital therapeutics or thinking about ideas to really engage that end user. Mm. And obviously the structures, the bronze, silver, gold, platinum, the, you need 12 of the thing and being able to tell, you know, show them on a pie chart, like here's the bit you need left. And that, you know, all these different, all these different things will engage those people to do more. And, and it's, it's, only to help them it might be goals that they have set themselves and therefore it's not just the device arbitrarily telling them what to do or the the particular program it, it might just be things that they have set themselves and, and things like that and that's where i can see real value of that behavioral science and and that nudge theory and that evidence yeah. and pushing people ultimately as your team does just tries to keep people as healthy as they can be which is super interesting and i think um, it's just just on that point james i think it is it's a mixture between because i can appreciate if you have a piece of tech that does a fantastic job and it's very very clever but you're not getting the feedback loop then it's hard yes. to know where, where to go with that so i think it's probably a mixture of having short-term opportunities to feedback now that could be as simple as just surveying who's using it just asking them and that's one thing that we do do on a frequent basis is just asking our members that are attending say for example even like our live sessions is is this working like how is this you know like just getting that verbatim feedback or NPS scores yeah, quality, yeah, really quality good, feedback, yeah, absolutely. all the way through to looking at the data in terms of the actual hard data that we're tracking but then in addition to that sort of short-term stuff is the long-term thing so health checks are a big thing for us so getting your you know sort of your your core um, your blood pressure cholesterol blood sugar BMI you know sort of seeing those long-term changes as well so it's kind of a you need a mixture of the two um, to ensure that what you're doing is working mm. I think what's come through in this for me, mate, is that there's a focus on, from what you've said, in terms of your compass, your team's compass, and what you're there to do, ultimately, you're you're just trying to do the right thing for those people that are, that are getting that product from you, mm. and you're incentivized for that. And it seems to be that you're, you're doing that quite literally, not only for the short term, but for the long term, but also in the context of the modern world and technology. And I think that's why probably I have a view of what the Vitality brand guidelines look like, because <laughs> it, it has just been very well targeted at me because I, I'm somebody that actually, if I can set my own parameters and I can have a device that nudges me, doesn't tell me what to do. I'm far more likely to do that. And I think that is only going to keep me healthy because at the end of the day, I do know in the back of my mind, I should be doing more steps. I should be walking outside more. I should be getting more sunlight. I should be doing lots of other things. I do know that. And so anything that's going to help me towards that is, is going to help me not only live longer, but live, have more life in those years, a phrase that you used earlier, which I think is really nice. And I think when it comes to a very difficult conversation in healthcare about the role of insurance, I think part of it has to be that you have the freedom to explore these things, things that will eventually end up 
as digital therapeutics in the NHS models that might work. You have the freedom to operate in order to do and try those things. You are forwarding that agenda. You are able to use new and innovative products that that certain you know public sector organisations can't. And I think that has to be part of the conversation and part of the role. And seemingly it is. And it's just not, I guess it's just nice to hear that there's an, an insurer that is thinking of it in that way. And that is so connected. I mean, to have an actual team that's, that's led by a clinician that, um, that I suppose has that compass and, and is doing that stuff is cool. Like it's good. To, it, it's good to know that it's good to know that you're open to speaking to new and innovative startups about, how they go about their business that you could int- integrate it into yours. It's, it's nice to have that connection. And I think that I suppose in my mind that thinking of vitality as the sort of the younger person insurer and the keep the healthy, healthy insurer has been correct. Um, so as I say, props to your, to your comms team, let's put that together. Um, <laughs> I suppose the, fi- the final question that I've got, is that there's lots of people that listen to this podcast from entrepreneurs and people in startups to people in corporates, to investors, to, you know, clinicians, lots lots and lots of people listen to. Um, Would you have any kind of final message or uh, asks of our audience in terms of those different groups that listen? Um, No specific asks, James, because very much wanted to come here today to firstly share our experience. I think we both feel passionately about the opportunities that there are within clinical practice and beyond. So very much, it's an invite actually, if there's anyone in a similar position who wants to have that conversation, don't hesitate to get in touch. It's actually I'm very, very happy to do so. Um, and then I suppose really, it's very much down to like, this is a community. So very open to the sort of future conversations as to where we should be going, what we should be doing. I don't think anyone's cracked it but it's only if we all work together and we all sort of share these. And this is where your podcast is is key to that, uh, is a fantastic opportunity for us to at least have this conversation. And then collectively, we can see if we can sort of, even if we if we nudge the dial one, two percent, it can have a massive impact. But the key thing is, is that it's going to take time um, and, we've, and we've got to be patient with it. So no, no specifics asked, James, other than that. Thanks. Love that, man. How do you prefer to be contacted? Uh, LinkedIn tends to be the, the best way for people. Yeah, LinkedIn's absolutely fine. So feel free to contact me via, via there. Or alternatively, my email address is andrew.mcgill at vitality.co.uk. Amazing. Andy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.